This episode of the Boss Builder Podcast is brought to you by Boss Builder Academy. If you are a newly promoted supervisor, somebody who's in the role and struggling, or even somebody who's thinking about one day making the transition to management, it is an overwhelming and stressful job. To help you out, please check out our Boss Builder Academy. Our Boss Builder Academy gives you the knowledge and skills you need to be a successful boss through a series of videos and guided discussions. It's something that you can do in as little as five minutes per day, and it will give you practical, tangible, tactical skills so you can be a great boss. For more information, check us out at www.thebossbuilders.com or call us at 931-221-2988. Well, hello and welcome to this episode of the Boss Builder Podcast, the podcast for those of you who are new to supervision, those of you in the role and struggling, and those of you who are even thinking about one day making the transition to management. Some in this audience are women, and we don't really specify when we do Boss Builder Podcast a special podcast for men or for women. We just say it's a podcast for the boss. This week is going to be a little different, though. I interviewed a really great guest for our sister station, which is HR Oxygen. Her name is Emily Barras, and she did a really great talk on how to be bold in business. And as I interviewed her for that podcast, I thought, you know what, I'm going to share the text of that interview with Boss Builder Podcast. This episode actually is for women only. But if you're a man and you want to listen, then I want you to listen carefully and realize that there are some things that you can do as a male boss to make an environment that is friendlier and more welcoming to those of the female persuasion. And as a boss, male or female, it is your job to develop others. And so I guess it really isn't for women only. Men can listen too. But what I want you to take out of this is that for women being the boss, there may be some hurdles to overcome. Emily has got some great strategies to help you do that. For men, listen carefully and realize there are things that you can do and change to make the environment more friendly toward women. So with no further delay, let's meet our special guest, Emily Barras. Emily Barras, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mac. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited that you're here too. We've talked to each other a couple times on the phone before the interview, and every time I talk to you, I get excited for what you're going to bring to the audience. The topic today is about being bold in business. And so before we get into the questions, can you take some time to tell us how you got started? Tell us something about your background. Okay. Well, I started out... Um, uh, let's let's see. I'll, I'm going to go way back and tell you that I am the middle child of a large Irish Catholic family from a small town in Delaware who loved books and decided uh, after graduating from the University of Delaware that I was going to make my way to the big city, to New York, and, and get into publishing. Um, and that's what I did. And so I, I started in publishing. It was my first job out of college. I was making $10,000 a year in Manhattan, um, which was very difficult <laughs> and, and, and sadly dates me, I think. <laughs> and, 
And I, I started out as an editorial assistant in the college textbook division in publishing. And I spent 32 years in the publishing industry working my way up um, from that first entry-level job to positions in sales, in marketing, in editorial, and finally into management and executive management. And so I have a, a deep background in um, working on businesses, in businesses, um, on being terrified <laughs> as a young person starting out and learning how to be effective and how to overcome that fear in order to be uh, successful. And so after 32 years of my publishing experience, I worked in the nonprofit sector for um, uh, several years. I wanted to give back. And, and then I started this business and I started Bold in Business because I, was, I had been coaching two of my nieces who were starting out in their careers and struggling with some of the same issues that I struggled with so many years ago. And those issues were people-pleasing, perfectionism, having that fear of speaking up because if it's not perfect or it's not exactly right, um, I'll be humiliated and so I'll just stay quiet. And and those things um, were gotten my way in my career, and my nieces were struggling with them too. And I realized that that these issues still face women today, and I want to do something about it. And so I, I sat down and I wrote a course for women on how to be more confident in business and how to be bolder. And I started to teach that course. It's an online live course for women. And then I also coach women individually, um, women entrepreneurs, and help them with learning um, business strategy and, and how to set bolder goals and implement them. So that's how I got started. Well, I would, I mean, I'm just going to take a guess. Was publishing when you were in that business for all those years, was it primarily a male driven business or were you in? the company of a lot of aspiring female leaders? Well, it's, uh, it, it was called a pink collar industry when I first started out because women made up um, a large part of the uh, support positions and the lower level positions in the organization but it was men in all of the management positions. There were no women leaders, no women executives um, in the industry at all when I started out. So you basically have, in your 30 years in publishing and what you've done pro after that, you've really brought a lot of, I guess, significant experience and probably a whole lot of war stories. How do you take all that and help those who you work with become bolder and more successful in business? Mm, great question, Mac. One of the things that I learned along the way is, and it was a surprise to me, is that confidence is not necessarily inherent in those who are confident. It's not a skill that, it, it, it's not a, a quality that you're born with. 
you can develop confidence skills. It is a skill. You can learn how to be confident. And, and the way you learn how to be confident and resilient is through taking action, taking risks. And um, it doesn't really matter if you fail or succeed at your risk. If you are taking action, you are building confidence. And so in my experience working my way up, I took a lot of risks, even though I was terrified. And as I worked my way through them, um, when I was wrong, when I failed, when I was humiliated, I uh, got up, brushed myself off and, and kept going. And, and it was, it was um, through taking action that, that I gained confidence and resili resilience. And so that's what I'm sharing. That's what I'm teaching with the women with whom I work, that becoming bolder and more successful in business is all about moving forward with whatever step, no matter how small, you're able to take at any given moment. Well, I think that's going to be very useful for our audience. Our audience is primarily HR professionals, and generally speaking, it is primarily made up of women who are in these fields. And I've always just observed when I go to conferences that they tend to feel overwhelmed, overstressed, and in many cases, underappreciated. Not that they're weak. It's in a very, very tough position in some very tough organizations. So based on that, what are some signs an HR professional could look for in their work and the way that they're communicating to figure out if this is an area in which they could work on to have greater success? Oh, there are a number of ways um, that, that we, and, and by we, I'm, I'm talking about women, can convey um, something that's, that's less than than confident, and these are these are ways, these are um, uh, opportunities for us to make some tweaks and some changes that will allow us to convey much greater confidence and power. And here are some examples: take credit for your work. Don't ever give away your credit. Sometimes women will. Um, maybe because we're raised to be modest, maybe because we think it's, um, it's uh, more attractive to be humble, we'll say, oh, I didn't, you know, it's not me, it was the team, or, oh, I just got lucky, or, oh, it was not a big deal. If you're doing that, stop, take credit, say thank you, I worked hard on this, I appreciate your feedback. Um, Use strong, confident language, not language that robs you of your power. So words like just, just is a word that is, is a little tiny apology um, when it's used at the beginning of a sentence. Just wanted to let you know, just wanted to check in. <laughs> just is a word that you can pretty much eliminate from your vocabulary and it's going to help you um, convey more power. Don't apologize. Don't don't say sorry over and over again. Um, of course, if an apology is appropriate for something significant, you apologize. But if you are a person who peppers 
her language with sorry, be aware of that and, and stop doing that. And then look at the language like, I guess what I mean is, does that make sense? Um, they're, th- those are undermining phrases and they're not helping you. Um, so pay attention to your language, both in your emails and your written language. And you'll notice right away if you're doing some of these things and there are opportunities to, to change and, and to convey more, more confidence. I guess I never realized that a simple word could really deflate the power of something that you're putting out there. And so you're advocating getting out there and being bold. We talked before we started the interview about the humble bragging. Mm. Honored to be speaking at the American Society of Proctologists, right? Right. And and so you're you're flat out saying, hey, I'm going to this thing. I'm speaking. Be there. That's right. Own your power. Okay. Own your power. So, Emily, have you always been this confident and bold uh, or did you develop this over time? Oh, gosh, not at all. When I started out in my career, I was absolutely terrified. And I remember uh, I'd been in, in my job in New York maybe two years when the book The Cinderella Complex came came out. And that book was about the whole imposter syndrome and how women often felt like they were frauds in their uh professional jobs, and that it was only a matter of time before they were found out. And I remember explicitly, I, I remember feeling that way, that that I did not belong in this um, corporate setting with these brilliant people all around me. And I had to be ever vigilant, or I would fail and someone would see it. And of course, you can't be very productive when you're thinking that way. And so I had to learn. Thankfully, I had a, I also had a strong competitive streak. And I really wanted to be good. I wanted to win at what I was doing. And so I didn't let myself give up. And it was only through all the mistakes I made, <laughs> only through all of the, ch- the chances that I took or the embarrassing moments that I started to, um, I think I probably started to develop a, a, a shell. Um, I got a little tougher and, and a little less inclined to be worried when I took chances, worried that others would criticize me or judge me or, or um, laugh at me. And so I learned all of my confidence and all of my ability to be bold from taking chances and failing, taking chances and succeeding, and slowly but surely um, working my way to this point in, in my life. So it's all part of a journey then. It's not something that you can just take a pill and boom, you're confident. Well, alcohol can make a person confident and bold, but I don't think that's the same thing, is it? (laughs) Not in my experience. (laughs) No, no. Well, in thinking back on your career, Emily, what was uh, one thing you wish you had known when you began your career? Oh, boy, I think there, there are two things if I may, that, that I wish I had known. Um, first is 
it's none of your business what other people think of you. Mm. And the, the first time I ever heard that expression, I thought, what? <laughs> are you <laughs> are you serious? But it's true that what people think of you in a, especially in a business setting is none of your business. Your job, and this is business, is to perform your your role, your responsibilities, and do them well. And it is not to worry about what others are thinking, judging, or saying about you. And usually, there isn't much you can do about it anyway. But the bottom line is, if you stay focused on the idea that that is none of my business, it will save you so much energy, so much um, anxiety and worry. And so, boy, I wish someone had sat me down at the age of 25 and looked me in the eye and said, it's none of your business what other people think of you. (laughs) (laughs) And then the second one would be, you get to choose what you think. And I mean, of course I knew that, but I don't think I knew that in the way that I know that today, that I get to choose every day if I'm going to be happy or if I'm going to be fearful. And I get to choose every day how I'm going to see the world, you know, what energy I bring to the world. I'm not a victim. I am a a strong, powerful woman. And it's, it's the choices I make that drive how I, I approach the world. And I didn't know that when I was starting out. And now let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. How many hours of your day are wasted by managers calling with personal problems they really should be able to handle on their own? Why not give them a copy of the Essential HR Handbook? The newly revised and updated 10th anniversary edition of this bestseller is jam-packed with tools, checklists, sample forms, and timely tips to guide you through the maze of HR issues in today's complex business environment. So, buy a copy of the Essential HR Handbook for each of your managers today, and keep a copy on your own desk, too. And now, back to the show. But isn't, I mean, I'm thinking back as you were talking, that's the way I used to feel when I was in middle school and high school. It's amazing because then I, at least I remember, you just figure like everybody's watching you yeah, and everybody's judging you. And the bottom line is some people are, but most people don't. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a real mind shift. I love those. <laughs> but now what we've got is hopefully there's some 25 year old folks listening to this episode that are going to start rethinking how they look at others and and take ownership. So I'm guessing in in amidst all those years in publishing and post-publishing, you probably had a few roadblocks. But in your experience, what was your biggest challenge? And how did you learn from that challenge? What did you learn? Um, I think my biggest challenge was a, a position that I that I was applying for that I really wanted. And I felt strongly that I had um, 
earned that next job. It was it was the publisher role in in the publishing house. So it it, it was a job that managed other editors in the on the team. And I was um, I felt like I had worked my way up and I had paid my dues and I had learned what I needed to learn and I was ready for that job and I wanted that job and I um, went into those interviews, I'm afraid, with that attitude. <laughs> um, and the truth is that I didn't get that job and I was devastated. I was I was so disappointed. And, and I also felt humiliated, um, worrying what others were thinking about, about the public decision. And in time, I realized that that role, that promotion, um, that I approached thinking about it, thinking only about me and what I wanted and what I deserved. And I really hadn't thought about what I was going to bring to the position and what contributions I was going to make in that role that were going to make a, a difference, a significant difference to the company. And I didn't communicate that. Um, I communicated that, I suspect I communicated, it's my turn and, hmm. and I want the job when that's not... Um, how businesses work. Businesses are not about it's your turn. Businesses are about who are the best people who can drive this business forward, who can create growth in this business, who can motivate people, excite people, um, help people be creative in, in coming up with new strategy, new products, etc. And once I fully grasped that my ego had gotten in the way of my thinking about the role and certainly in my way of communicating what I thought I could do and contribute, I better understood how to prepare for and think about the, the next promotion that I went after. It was a painful lesson, um, but it was a necessary one. I just think a lot of what I hear from HR professionals, they, they say, we want a seat at the table. It's almost become a cliche. We want a seat at the table. In fact, our mutual friend, Maggie Sterner, and I talked about this on her episode a few weeks ago. You know, how do you get the seat at the table? But it sounds like you're, you're advocating, figure out what you're going to contribute when you get to the table. Don't just whine and complain. You ain't got a seat at the table. Is that about right? That's right. That's right. When we stay focused on on what we're going to contribute and how we're going to add value and how much value we can add. That's the conversation that everyone wants to have. They will be making room for you at the table so fast. There is a component of you know, being assertive, being bold, and asking for what is your due. And I don't, I don't want to suggest that that's not part of the equation. I, I think you have to go to the person in power and say, I want my seat at this table. But you also have to be thinking about, do I belong at the table? What value do I bring to the table? And be sure that you're prepared to share those things when you get that seat at the table. 
Yeah, good advice. Well, what makes you feel inspired? What makes you feel like your best self? You always seems like you're giving this to others. What what does it for you? Oh, I think it it's it's um, all of the women I see who have come before me and taken great risks and had great success, especially the women who make it a point of reaching behind them to help those behind them. Um, I think that the path that many women have, have, have had to take in their careers in the past 50 years in the business world have um, been so, so difficult um, and so onerous that there hasn't always been uh, the opportunity and the energy to, to reach back to help other women. When, when I was coming up, sadly, I didn't see that a lot. Um, the women, the few women that you would see at the top were spending all of their time and energy getting there and then being good once they got there and they weren't always in a position to help other women. But today you see, I, I just, see so many women who are generous and capable and wanting to help each other and lift each other up. And I, I'm so confident that that's the way we succeed. We ask for help. We learn from others and not just women, of course, um, from strong, generous, smart men who have had success and had the failures we need to ask for help from these folks and, and, and all of them are the people that inspire me. Oh, that's great. Well, I'm just thinking about my daughter who as of the date of this interview is 20 and she's in business school and she'll be in the business world in a couple of years. And I really hope she can find somebody like you to help her get out there and launch because old dad, I don't think is going to be able to handle <laughs> that part of it. <laughs> I mean, I'll have her listen to the podcast, but beyond that, hopefully she finds somebody just like that. So what is one common myth about courage and taking risks in business that you want to debunk? That would have to be that um, people who appear confident and bold, people who appear courageous, don't ever feel nervous or anxious or uncomfortable or afraid even. They do. I do. Taking risks for me always includes fear. When I am, when I'm putting myself out there in a way where I can fail big, I am afraid. And what has worked for me, I mean, the, the, of course, the definition of courage is, is taking action even when you are afraid. Um, what has worked for me is to break down the task into the smallest possible step I'm able to take in that moment and take it. And so I hold myself accountable for taking action every day even if it's a really tiny step, but I'm not allowed to sit back and just be afraid and wallow in that. Um, I think courage 
is always about being uncomfortable, but taking action anyway. But it seems like if it's a risk you're taking, you should be afraid. If you're not afraid, I'm going to argue, maybe you're not really taking no, a risk. What a good point. You're just, you're just gaming the system, right? Yeah, it should be a little right? scary. That's right. Well, well, you've given us advice. You've told us two words to avoid saying. And so for our listeners, if there was something they could incorporate, maybe just one thing into their lives, something they could commit to every day, what would you recommend that be? What would be the big win for them? Well, I, I'd like to say journaling, that that sitting down every day and planning your day as, as one that is hugely successful um, it is a great way to get get your day started and to help you bring the energy, the positive energy you want and need to the day. Um, but journaling isn't for everyone. And, and meditation is another great way to, to, to prepare yourself for the day, to be the strong, courageous person you want to be. Um, and that that's not, meditation is not for everyone. I've been trying to meditate for 25 years. <laughs> I want it, but I just can't seem to incorporate it into my life. I would say... If there's one thing you're going to change, you know, starting tomorrow and that you're going to do every day is to set um, a goal each morning or even better the night before one goal for your day and make sure you achieve that goal. Maybe it's something as small as I'm going to contribute to any meeting I'm in today. Even if it's to ask a question, I am going to speak up. Um, and maybe it's something larger. But having a goal for every single day and holding yourself accountable will change your life pretty quickly. Mm, love it. <laughs> well, for our last question, so let's set the scene. You are on, we'll, we'll talk about your your part of the world you live in. You're on I-95 <laughs> South Friday afternoon, traffic is not moving. Well, there's a shocker, <laughs> right? And and you know, Emily, because you 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 know this stretch of road, this is your chance to make an impact. So you are given a billboard, and the billboard is going to be viewable to all the people sitting in the parking lot of I-95 South. What would the message on the billboard be? Well, my favorite quote, my favorite um message that inspires me is is on a plaque that I have in my office and surprisingly it's by Calvin Coolidge um, and this is this is what it says nothing in this world can take the place of persistence talent will not nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent genius will not unrewarded genius is almost a proverb Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. I love it. Wow. I, I love it too. <laughs> yeah. I would almost get on the freeway just to see the billboard. That's good stuff. <laughs> I know. It gives me goosebumps. Well, Emily, I've really enjoyed having you on the show. You've got a lot to offer. So, how can the audience reach out to you and sign up for your Bolden Business class? 
read your resources or maybe even connect with you where they can have a meeting? Oh, well, the first place to go is my website, which is um, www.boldinbusiness.net. And there you can find information about my online class uh, that I'll be teaching again in the fall and how to work with me one-on-one with coaching. And you can reach me by email, and that would be emily at boldenbusiness.net. And finally, I would love to have you join my Facebook group, which is Bold in Business um, on, on Facebook. And I would love to hear from your listeners and love to engage with them and talk to them. So I, I hope people reach out. And the good news you shared with me when we started is that you will be starting a podcast very soon. <laughs> That's right. So what, what a way to get regular uplifting messages from Emily. Emily, thank you so much for taking your time to be on the show and sharing your message with the listeners. Thank you, Mac. I enjoyed this so much. Well, thanks for taking the time to listen to another episode of the Boss Builder Podcast. You know, if you're listening to these as you are commuting to and from work, I would highly recommend you listen again when you get home just so you can take some notes. We do our best to get you great information. And sometimes if you're like me, you got to write the stuff down. On another note, for your further development, if you work for an organization and you think that it would be valuable to partner with us, which I think is a good idea, We invite you to check us out online at thebossbuilders.com. We have three options, our signature driving results on-site workshop, which our trainers come out and deliver for you. We also have our very popular Boss Builder Academy, which is video-driven. And we also offer the option of having your organization license our training materials so that your trainers can go ahead and deliver them on-site. If you're listening to our podcast on iTunes or on Stitcher, the other thing we'd appreciate is if you could just take a moment and leave us a brief, positive, of course, review. That would really help us out a great deal. And refer this podcast to anybody you know that you think could benefit from it. Until the next time we meet, get out there, boss up, boss on, and more importantly, make a commitment to being the boss at being a great boss. Goodbye.